women in general are taught to apologize um, for our very existence often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I exist. Yeah. My bad. Um, so, so I, I totally get that. I think that it's probably, a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a thing and it's something I, when I'm like talking about setting boundaries and stuff, it's always something I talk about, like, don't apologize for setting a boundary ever. Yeah. Unless you've, you've wronged someone, um, like, you know, maybe you didn't call them back or something, then yes, an apology is warranted. But, um, I always encourage my clients, like stop apologizing because Mm. you're kind of giving your power over to that person when you apologize unnecessarily. And it also means that your apologies aren't sincere when you actually do need to make an apology. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. I hope that you are well and living your best life wherever you are. In today's episode, I talk to Morgan Doman, who is a Clarity Life Coach based in the US. We talk about how she became a life coach, why people pleasers need to set boundaries, why we shouldn't say sorry and how it affects our self-worth when we say it maybe a bit too much. I know I do. We also talk about how women particularly grow up being taught to apologise and be sensitive to other people's needs. And with Christmas quite literally around the corner, I ask her what people can do to set boundaries with their loved ones so they can have a happy, argument-free Christmas. Isn't that the dream? This is a really interesting one, so grab yourself a cup of tea or coffee or whatever you like to drink and uh, have a listen. today with Morgan who is well why don't you introduce yourself actually okay um so my name is Morgan Doman and I'm a life and clarity coach so what's the dif- like is there a difference between a life coach and a life clarity coach um yes and no um the reason I add clarity is because I kind of specialize in helping people find clarity, um, in their life. Um, so whether that be in career, whether it be in, um, you know, kind of getting clear about the way they want to live their life or design their life. So that's why I I talk about that because I love to help, especially people pleasers. Um, and one of the big struggles they have is the reason they're people pleasing and they kind of cater to so many, like to others instead of themselves is they don't have clarity on what they actually want in life. And so the clearer we get, the better they can kind of set boundaries. Yeah, I totally, yeah, I totally resonate with that. And I feel like that's something that has been in like books and stuff for like the last few years, particularly. Like, I don't know if you, do you know the books there's like a couple of them that all have similar titles of like the subtle art of not giving a fuck and these kind of things. Mm. Yeah. Like working out what you actually want to do, what you don't want to do and having the like the courage to like set those boundaries and say. Yeah. The the one I I'm very familiar with is like everything is figure outable by Marie Forleo. Um, She talks a lot about getting clarity and yeah, it's been a huge topic because so many people are like 
they know they want something more in life. They want um, better work-life balance. They want more freedom in their lifestyle. Um, but they're like, yeah, but like, how do I get that? <laughs> yeah. They don't teach that in high school and certainly college yeah. admissions officers don't know how to help you with that. So, yeah, I think because at school, I don't know, like they're trying to like push you into at least a career so that they've done their job in the sense that they've given you qualifications and they're sending you in another direction into the, probably also from a financial perspective to like, you know, make you pay like a load of money to universities and stuff. But I don't know, that's just like, you know, maybe like one of those theories. <laughs> no, no, I, I think but, you, you're definitely onto something. And I think that a lot of people choose their profession, like what they go into college, what they go to college for before they're really ready, um, mm. you know, to make that decision or before they have clarity on the way they want to live their life. Like one of the things that's mm. always shocking to me is how many of us choose a profession, but have no idea what it's actually like, you know, every profession has its own, um, set of rules, its own set of expectations. And also like, um, you know, just like the daily life, um, mm. you know, in terms of what's expected of you, you know, for example, like a chef has a much different, um, work schedule than some, an engineer. And yet yeah. that's not really discussed. Like, how do you want to actually live your life? Do you want to be in front of a screen? Do you want to be working with your hands? You know, these kinds of things are mm. part of the decision-making. Do you know what? Now I'm saying that, like, because the reason I started this podcast is because I, well, I think I'm still on the path of getting quite clarity, but um, I had like a, I don't know, not a midlife crisis, but I had like a sort of a enlightenment or something. Mm. Um, and it all started from birth control where I was like, hormonal pills don't work for me. They mm. turn me into a crazy woman. Um, and then I sort of, cause that's the other thing. I mean, a slight tangent. I don't know what it's like in the States, but in the UK, I feel like you grow up as a young girl um, believing, well, when I say young girl, like a young teenager, believing that the only form of contraception is the pill because it's the easiest. And it's like, if you go to the doctor and you say, oh, like I'm 16 and I'm having sex now, they just give you the pill because it's easier, I guess, because there's no like procedure involved or any real talk kind of involved. You know, you just slip a pill and that's it. But then when it came to actually taking them, at the age of like, how old was I? Last year, bit of 2018, so I was like 25, 26. And I'd never taken them really before because it was like my first real relationship. And I thought it'd be easy, but I was like, whoa, what is this headache? Why am I emotional? Why am I having a go at my boyfriend for absolutely no reason? <laughs> and then I Googled it more and then it seems like loads of women all over the world are having this kind of um, sort of realization that maybe hormonal birth control isn't necessarily right for everybody and there's like not as many unfortunately but there are some non-hormonal methods so anyway so I was like I worked all that out and then I was like okay fine I get the copper coil IOD and then after that I was like so proud of myself making an adult decision and I remember I came out of the doctor's office and I texted my best friend and I was like guess what I've just got an IUD and it's in my bag right now I'm gonna get it put in there <laughs> such an adult um, and then after that, because I think I mentioned in a previous podcast that once you start questioning one thing, I feel like you start questioning everything else. Mm. And so I was like, hmm, do I like my job? Where am I living right now? Like what's what's going on? Um, 
And then, I mean, to be fair, like my last job, I was kind of forced out of it because it just, the contract was just ended. But then I realized I'd always done a bit of freelancing on the side because I found it more rewarding, strangely. Um, I guess because when you're doing a job and you're earning money per job, you think, right, that's another $20, that's another $100. Whereas when you're just working in a 40-hour job, for me, I didn't find it rewarding because it's like I'm just getting paid the same salary every month. It doesn't matter if I work hard today or tomorrow or not as much today or tomorrow, I'm still getting paid the same salary. Um, so then it's it's been, I got, so I left my job end of October, I think. So I've had like a month and a bit now of just pre or freelancing, pretty much enjoying it. So yeah, yeah. so that's, that's like my process. Um, and to think that at the age of 18, I chose what I, first of all, chose what I was potentially going to be doing the rest of my life, but also making a huge financial decision because now I have like 40,000 pounds of debt, of student debt, you know, which luckily in the UK doesn't count against you. So if you get a mortgage, they won't count student debt against you. Is that the same in the US or no? I don't, I don't actually know, to be honest. I don't think it's the case. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, your story, I don't think you're alone in it at all. And, you know, I think there's two big important things I would pull out as a coach. First of all, um, you know, throughout our lives, we grow and like we should be, it should be much more culturally accepted to change careers and change jobs. Like this is something that's so fascinating. It's like, oh, you're changing your career. Yeah, I am. Um, And, you know, it's like, how are, yeah, we're expected to make this huge life decision at 18 years old. And um, honestly, like, you know, we all are, we should all be growing and expanding and getting better. And for some people, Yeah, it is staying in the same job, but for so many people, it's not, it's about like growing and constantly like upgrading and changing and, and learning. And so I think that it should be kind of normalized versus like, um, not really culturally accepted. And I don't think that's just in the U S I think as you're saying, like, it's kind of everywhere. Um, the second thing is like so many, one of my like biggest tips for clarity is just to do it. If if, yeah. if you want clarity on whether you should do it, like just do it. Yeah. <laughs> Try it. If out. you want it, yeah. If you like it, and um, and yeah, and just to like say about your birth control story, I actually have one that's very similar. Um, oh, really? <laughs> very very similar. Um, I, you know, I was I think I was eighteen years old. I um, you know, I wanted to not make sure I wasn't going to get pregnant. Yep. And, um, Good decision. Yeah. And <laughs> right. <laughs> I literally was having meltdowns, you know, I was like, uh. I was literally just like sobbing, you know, yeah, um, for no reason. And you're just like, what's happening? And, um, and was that the pill for you as well? Was that yes, like the hormonal? <gasps> you see? Yeah. It's, it's, well, the thing <laughs> is too, like, if you look at the history of the pill, it wasn't actually created for women who were very young. It wasn't created for women who had already, who hadn't had children yet. The pill mm. was created for women who are already past their childbearing years and they had already had kids. So it's, it's really made for like 35 year olds who don't want any more kids. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. It was never made. It was never supposed to be created for sixteen-year-olds, and I think that um, you know it's become this like catch-all, um, this catch-all pill. And in truth, like you know, you're also just not explained um, 
the different um, side effects, short-term and long-term. Um, and some of the long-term side effects aren't even known. So mm. yeah, I mean, and you know, just to get into the bigger picture, I mean, so many, I think so many people are skeptical of medical establishments now because, you know, things like this have been going on for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's just fascinating to see, but yeah, I mean, like, it's so interesting. I, you know, so many women who have a similar story, like yeah, they go crazy or whatever. But also I feel like you won't find out that story unless you say that happened to me too. Like, it's yeah. not like a woman will own up to it and be like, oh yeah, actually I didn't like the pill either. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And going back to the, um, like the career aspect of clarity, I suppose, like considering I'm personally myself, I don't know about you, but I. I'm finding clarity now, I would say, like finding out what I do, what I don't like. But that's probably from experience that I've done the job now and I've been in certain companies and thought, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> Realized I prefer working by myself, doing more creative things. Like I much prefer like, because uh, I'm a translator and proofreader by trade. Um, so I studied languages at university, which personally I wouldn't take back. I think a lot of people they've chosen to go to university at whatever age young anyway and they think oh yeah do you know what I really didn't want to study law or I really didn't want to do medicine but I do think I wouldn't like take back doing a languages degree because I do think out of all the degrees out there doing a languages degree is never going to be a bad thing because at least you can speak a language of some kind um So that's good. And I went to a good university and I had a good time. I lived in London and living in London as a student is actually really good because you get like 30% off everything. So when I had to like get a full price Oyster card and all this kind of stuff, it was just, it was just the worst. So, but it's just scary to think that kids, well, I call them kids because really when you're 18, you are a kid, Like you don't think you are at the time, but you kind of still are Mm. a kid slash young person like kind of deciding something that you're doing for the rest of your life and I'm only seven years later finding out what I really enjoy doing mm, it's kind of questionable to yeah, me. <laughs> it definitely is. I think I think you know that's it's very rare that anyone knows exactly what they want to do at 18 and you know it's just about supporting each other in in making life changes and like it's so important to constantly be changing and and you know, going through personal development and, and just getting better at life, you know, these are all really good things and we don't have to have everything figured out all the time. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I became a coach because I love helping people figure out what's next for them. Um, Mm. it's really just such a beautiful transformational thing. And, you know, so many people, you know, when we're doing things we love to do in our career, like so many parts of our lives get better, you know, like Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we can put more time and effort into relationships. We can, um, really up level our, our romantic relationship and, and stuff like that. So yeah, it's, 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 it has ripple effects, you know? Yeah. 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 I can, I can vouch for that because like, even though, okay, I might have currently like maybe the financial worry that when you, the only thing is when you're a freelancer, you don't know how much money you can earn in a month. And it is really down to you to go out there and find clients Absolutely. and make the money, isn't it? Because I guess you're by yourself as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a freelancer, but I'm an entrepreneur. 
Yeah. 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 Same well, much. I will say started my own company as well because well. I finally made it kind of like official, I guess, before I was just kind of just, I don't know. Yeah. Freelancer. And then I thought, well, when it comes to like the legalities of it in the UK, you can either register a sole proprietorship or a limited company. And then I just decided to do the limited company because I'd heard it might work out better, like, I don't know, for tax reasons and boring mm. stuff like that. Um, I got a letter the other day to say like, oh, congratulations, you're a director now. <laughs> and I was like, okay, it's, a company. it's just me, but fine. <laughs> yeah, but that's something, you know, like you're building something uh, that will, you have to start mm. somewhere when you build. So, yeah. You know, and I feel way more passionate about it than I did working just at a company. Of course, you know, I'm not surprised that, by that at all, you know, when we're kind of interested in ourselves and we're doing something we like, um, we put more effort into it. You know, we, we care about it more. So it, it just makes total sense. And like you were saying, um, you know, well, it's, it's funny. Cause I think this is a European, this is a different culture <laughs> thing than the U S yeah. and it's so weird. Cause I was listening to another podcast today, but like the difference between the British office, you know, like the show, the office mm-hmm. and the American office is that in the British version, they made the lead character not good at his job. And like, he was never going to get fired because it's much harder to fire people. But in the U S like he would have been fired because we have at well employment. So like they had to make the lead actually good at his job. Like he was a jerk, Ah. but like the only way it worked in the U S was to make him a good salesperson. Is it because you're more likely to get fired in the, Oh yeah. I mean, you have to like, yeah. In the U S like it's at will. So like, um, you can pretty much fire someone for any reason, um, except oh, for anything that is, um, uh, like, you know, you can't fire them based on like se- uh, sexual orientation, gender, mm. all of that. You Pregnancy. Know, but, yeah. Yeah. But you can fire for pretty much any reason. For so, just one mess up. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, unless someone's unionized, but like, I just thought that was so funny. Like that's the difference between your yeah culture so Mm. Americans actually have this thing where it's like we have to do we have to kind of we overdo our jobs because we're so scared of getting fired like we go above and beyond a lot Mm. of the time or we we suck up to our boss and stuff like that we do a lot of people pleaser stuff we have like a culture of people pleasers because because of that's interesting it is it is interesting it's so funny I was yeah I guess it's weird if you have Europeans working in offices in America and if Americans work in like a European office, cause, oh my God, it must just be such a huge clash. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I can kind of, hmm. yeah, I do, I do think in Britain, it was, well, say the UK uh, in particular, it's kind of, yeah, getting fired is kind of last, last, you have to do something awful to get fired. It's yeah. kind of, you have three warnings. Mm-hmm at least you have like a verbal warning, a second verbal warning, and then you'll get like a written warning. Yeah. Um, and then and then it might be, you know, I don't know, if you're in like, you work for a bakery and you just never turn up for your shift ever or something. You know, I was telling my boyfriend, because we always have like cultural clashes all the time, like India and like the UK. Um, and I said to him quite, 
often I bump into objects mm-hmm. and I'll apologize to that object because it's automatic mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. So I'll bump into the table and I'll be like, oh, sorry. Oh, wait, shit, that's a table. <laughs> yeah. Or someone, a person will bump into me on the street. I'll apologize. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, I shouldn't have to apologize. Yeah. They should apologize to me. And then I get mad because they haven't apologized to me. So, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's an interesting difference between the States and like the UK, I imagine. Yeah. And the, the overabundance of apologies is definitely something I, I completely get. And I think women in general are taught to apologize um, for our very existence often. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I exist. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> um, so, so I, I totally get that. I think that it's probably, a, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a thing. And it's something I, when I'm like talking about setting boundaries and stuff, it's always something I talk about, like, don't apologize for setting a boundary ever. Yeah. Unless you've, you've wronged someone, um, like, you know, maybe you didn't call them back or something, then yes, an apology is warranted. But um, I always encourage my clients, like, stop apologizing, because mm. you're kind of giving your power over to that person when you apologize unnecessarily. And it also means that your apologies aren't sincere when you actually do need to make an apology. Yeah. Um, and, and both are really important and, um, yeah. And, and also like, yeah, I I think it's really, really important to just like curve our apologies. Like I know Mm -hmm. I'm like, sorry, sorry. And I'm like, why am I saying sorry so much? Yeah. It's so crazy it's like to cover your butt just in case just in case someone happens to be offended you're like I said sorry so yeah absolutely (laughs) it's 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 a it's definitely um it it creates like a vibration that isn't necessarily positive you know if we're talking about like energies Mm um when we when we apologize a lot for something we really shouldn't or don't need to apologize, we're kind of decreasing our self-worth and therefore our energy, mm. our, our vibrations. So it is really important to try and, and kind of become conscious of it because so many people are yeah. just, are not conscious of the amount of times they say sorry throughout the day. Yeah. And that's, I think also if you're the kind of person that apologizes all the time, when someone doesn't like, my boyfriend uh (laughs) we had this discussion it's interesting because like I don't know he's a good boy he never does anything wrong but if he does something like classic example didn't put down the toilet seat I don't know and then I'll be like listen like you know why didn't you do it whatever it was but he he says to me like he'll never apologize if he actually didn't do anything wrong in his opinion he'll only apologize if genuine like if he accidentally slapped me in the face he'd be like sorry like genuinely <laughs> obviously because no one hits their girlfriend um but yeah but it's weird because I'm like the kind of person that apologizes all the time and then when he doesn't say sorry just for the smallest thing like I don't know he stood on my toe or something I'm like why didn't you say sorry you know you know I'm really hurt by this <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know I would say like, he's actually, um, he's standing in his, um, in his worth actually in a way. Um, and, mm. and just say, he knows his self-worth. Yeah. And, and so I would encourage you to do the same, you know, like meet him there because your, your self-worth will increase. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, I think that 
again, this is a bigger issue for women. The apology um, is, it's, I mean, not that some men don't deal with it, but I do think it's a bigger issue for women for sure. Yeah. Maybe it's something to do with estrogen or something. I don't know, but it's true though. Yeah. Men don't, I mean, not being sexist here, but I mean, from my experience, generally women are more quick to be like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, you know, if they spill something on you or whatever, maybe men don't realize when they hurt you in some way. I, I think or, also I girls are trained at a much younger age to become socially aware. Like yeah. we are definitely trained to do that and to be more conscious of other people's feelings than boys mm. are. And I think it's something we pass down from generation to generation. Um, mm. And I- Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, seriously. Um, and I just think that like, girls are also taught to be more aware and more concerned about other people's um, emotions and, and feelings. Like, yes. anyway, I just wanna like have a little disclaimer here. I'm obviously generalizing. Um, yes. And yeah. obviously like there are, <laughs> There are exceptions on both sides, but, um, you know, mm. for example, this is kind of a little thing, but like little girls are often trained at a very young age when dinner is over to like clean up. Yeah. Boys are often not taught that. Um, or they don't follow the rules so easily and they get away with it. Exactly. Yeah, either one for sure. Mm. Um, but the fact that they get away with it is also an indication that they're not being trained as well. Mm. So maybe it also depends where you grow up as well. Oh, of course. Of course. All of these 100%. things. Yeah. Who raised you, where you grew up, mm. of course. Absolutely. But in my experience, and I think a lot of women who are raised in like the Anglo-Saxon cultures, like, you know, Britain and the US have that kind of upbringing. Mm. I remember I have vivid memories of like staying at my dad's house when um, there was like all six of us kids there because it was me, my sister, my step siblings. Plus, we also had two newborn baby half sisters. So it was like a what they call it blended family. family. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, every meal was an occasion because it was, you know, cooking for like eight people plus looking after twins was just an ordeal. <laughs> I can only imagine from a father and mother's perspective that just personally, I would never do it. I, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do if I had that many children. But um, so, of course, the parents, you know, they prepared dinner. And then it's it was very much, I mean, my dad can correct me, but I'm pretty much sure of my memory that it was down to the kids to do the dishes afterwards. And so out of the four of us grown up kids, well, the older kids, there was three girls and one boy. And I'm thinking about it now, the three girls would be like, yeah, I don't want to do it, obviously, but okay, fine, dad's going to shout at us if we don't. But then I remember a couple of times, like our stepbrother just disappeared. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I think he was like 13 or something at the time. So obviously he went upstairs to play on his PlayStation or go to the toilet. And, um, but I think my dad is, I think he's, a, fe a feminist in a way because I don't remember him ever saying that's okay the boy mm. can go upstairs and do what he wants I remember there was a massive like search around the house where is he where is he mm. get down here help wash up mm. <laughs> so and I feel like I don't know I feel like Great Britain UK that whole British Isle area I I mean I'm not gonna say it's completely you know gender equality but 
I don't remember having that many, I guess, generalizations put on me as a female when I was growing up, which is good, I suppose. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, I cannot speak for my upbringing. I had wonderful parents, by the way, very not, not, you know, sexist at all, but it was like, it was a societal issue more than it was like within my family. Um, Mm. There's a lot of, um, a lot of need to be the best to be, um, you know, kind of that perfect um, on the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it definitely played a role. I, I had to do a lot of like, um, I had to unravel a lot of that societal pressure that came from when I was a teen. Um, and, and also like, pressure to please boys as well Mm because I think that that was a big thing in in American culture or at least in Mm. the culture I grew up I grew up in and and what that meant for setting boundaries like I think one of the things I talk a lot about with women and I think most women understand this is like we um we had this strange relationship with boundaries because we want to set boundaries, right? Like it's a common thing, but physically sometimes you have to be very careful about a boundary. You know, for example, Mm -hmm. if a guy is coming on to you, setting a boundary of get off me um, can actually be dangerous Mm. and it can be counterproductive to getting out of the situation. And Mm. so I think we start to, it becomes really difficult in, especially in our adolescence, if we have to deal with this a lot, to learn to set boundaries in a healthy way. We start to kind of manipulate boundaries, uh, manipulate what we, like the people around us to get what we need instead of just asking for it. Hmm. And, and it's, it's really fascinating because, you know, I, I, most women I think have been in a situation where inside they were screaming, I, I want this to stop but knowing yeah. if they say that they could be harmed. Yeah. I, I mean, most women have had an experience, whether it was legitimate or not, it doesn't matter. They've had that experience. Mm. So um, we start to kind of manipulate boundaries instead of just asking for them. And it can, it can get a little bit, um, you know, kind of messy, you know, we have to mm. a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, I think I've had a couple of, I mean, not that I've gotten a, clubbing very often but when I have I just know when someone comes up to you to even just dance with you because they might just be a happy drunk you still automatically have this kind of front where you think wait what's your intention yeah Christmas being around the corner literally yeah. next week yeah do you ever get clients that sort of have issues with Christmas <laughs> like and I mean like sort of because Christmas is like it's great but it's also when families not this year but most of the time families come together and arguments tend to ensue because someone stepped over someone's boundary for example someone said this to someone else and then or whatever like, do you get clients that sort of ask you how to deal with their relationships at Christmas time without like offending anybody? Absolutely. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is like one of the harder problems with dealing with family and boundaries is that that's where you learned how to set boundaries. Like most of us learned boundary setting from our parents or guardians or people in our lives. And so when we're going home, dealing with these people, we're often triggered. Um, so not only do you need to set a boundary, but you're being triggered while you have to do it. And so you can get really upset and, and different things like that. So absolutely, you know, when I, when I coach around holidays, I always like to ask, like, what pattern are you referring to right now? Right? So for example, I have three brothers, I'm number three. And, um, so we, so like, there's a dynamic, right? Like the dynamic of the way we grew up will often come out, even though we're all full grown adults now. Mm -hmm. And so I always like to ask, first of all, what's the dynamic? Are you reverting back to a behavior when you were like 10? Um, this is kind of like, I don't know if anyone's ever seen this, but like, have you ever gone home with your best friend, like gone to your best friend's house or your boyfriend's house or something, and you hear them talk to their sibling and it's like shocking. You're like, who mm. are you? Mm. It's because they're reverting back to like being a little kid again. Um, yeah. So I always like to ask what's the dynamic going on. And then also like, if there's a boundary you want to set, that's a constant problem, try and set it before the event. You know, mm. for example, like if you have an uncle who, um, set because you think they're ignorant or racist or whatever <laughs> like set the boundary before the the meeting so say to yourself I am not speaking about politics I will not feed into mm. their their questions make that agreement with yourself and maybe even ask your you know ask a buddy you know in your family to help you Hmm. Um, or even call, if you have, if you have it in you and, and you want to call the uncle and say, let's agree not to talk politics, you know, so that everyone has a nice holiday. Um, oh, yeah. these are the kinds of things like think, try and think a little bit ahead and see, and see what feels comfortable to you. But yeah, if you have a boundary, I also suggest you get clear about what the boundary is. This is really important because so many people are like, oh, I hate my uncle. I don't want to be around. I'm sorry, by the way, to all my uncles. I'm using yeah. as an example. I, I have great uncles, but I'm just using an example. But like I have, um, you know, if you have, um, if you have someone you really need to set a boundary with, get clear about it before you go into it. A lot of people are like, oh, I hate this person, but that's not, that's not a boundary, right? The boundary is hmm. this person, you know, says things that upset me you know, just get very specific about what it is that you really don't like so that you can be mm. clear on how you're going to set it in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. I get, that's quite a straightforward approach actually. Oh, I wrote a load of questions down. Um, and I think we've answered a couple of them, but I wanted to ask, so oh, we talked actually before we started the podcast at how you became a life coach. So maybe you can just highlight that again. And just yeah, let the listeners know. Absolutely. So I actually, um, in 2017, I um, kind of was a whistleblower at this nonprofit that I worked for. And uh, me and about 11 other colleagues left and started our own nonprofit. Um, 
Mm-hmm. And we, uh, I was the managing director. So I was in charge of all the day-to-day operations and it was a great job. I loved working with my colleagues. It was, it was such an honor to be, to be there. Um, the nonprofit is called Doman International. Yes, it's the same last name. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, we helped children with special needs. So it was really just so, such a beautiful um, time in my life. Um, in 2018, I actually um, started to ask myself, is this the job I want to do? I love who I work for. I love who I work with. But the, the actual job of it was not, not, you know, necessarily what I wanted. So I started to look at other things and I decided to train as a coach at the Human Potential Institute. And um, it was originally just going to be a side gig um, as most. That's, that's how it starts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, in October of this year, uh, right in the middle of COVID, I decided to leave that nine to five and, um, and start my own business, you know, for real as an entrepreneur. And, uh, yeah, that's how I got into it. I love, I love, love life coaching. It's truly amazing to see my clients go from being in their shell and unhappy to expanding and learning and fulfilling their dreams. Yeah. Cause it, I imagine in so many different ways you would help people. It's not always, you don't always help people in the same way, I imagine. Yeah, I, you know, everyone is different and everyone's needs are different. I will say that without fail, the first month of coaching, I always spend on self-worth because um, everybody kind of, so many people have issues with self-worth and self-esteem and so we need to actively unravel what's going on there and lifting their confidence so that they can start to really like gain clarity um and then you know move forward with different actions that Mm -hmm. will get them to where they want to be and it's not always what they think it's going to be too often when you start to raise your self-worth your kind of compass for your life starts to shift a little bit towards what you want versus what others' thoughts and opinions have have led you to. Or what you think you should be doing. Exactly. Or yes, also. expectations are a big issue there. Absolutely. Because mm. that's the thing. I was, I think for years I've been saying, you know, I kind of want to work for myself. Um, but I never really imagined it. I think when I was at university, I always imagined, I guess everybody does when they're a graduate. I think, oh yeah, just a cushy job in like a, corporation well paid in a city center somewhere would be fine but then when you actually get there and if you don't actually enjoy the bare bones of the job itself or you don't like your colleagues or the work culture or because I was working in like banking that kind of area and like yeah it just like the first job I had was kind of was the closest to what I enjoyed but then because it was more creative because it was kind of to do with marketing. But then the second job was kind of no marketing at all. And it was, I realized that, I think they realized that um, I wasn't the person for them. And I realized that job wasn't the job for me. <laughs> so yeah, and my if my sister was telling me like, um, when like my contract ended, uh, she was like, yeah, but I've been telling you for ages, like just to get out of finance, you don't enjoy it. You tell me on a weekly daily basis you don't enjoy it 
yeah. um she was like i've been telling you for ages like just if you want to that's the thing if you want to like work for yourself then yeah you can just totally do it and she was like i can really imagine you having your own business like you're really confident by yourself and like independent and i'm an introvert i hate people in general so it suits me a lot better yeah absolutely. um and i think because i'm in aries i feel like i'm a natural born leader mm. a little bit so i it's kind of a i, would, I don't want to say the word bad because nothing's really bad but it's kind of oh how can i describe it like a weaker characteristic of myself that i don't like being told what to do i like being the one to tell people what to do yeah aries are also really really great manifestors like you guys can manifest like that like same (laughs) want stuff you get it like it's awesome yeah yeah what star sign are you i'm a libra okay so what characteristics do you have well, you know, the scales were very balanced, harmonious people. <laughs> um, we, yeah, that's, it's funny. I tend to lean more into my Virgo um, moon sign and my, I'm also a Capricorn rising, but um, I tend to be, you know, organization, managing are all, you know, big parts of my personality, but I like things to be harmonious. I really hate being in a room with tension and not talking yeah. about it. I don't confrontation. Mind. Yeah, I actually you know it's I don't mind confrontation. What bothers me is when the confrontation is like not happening. Like um when there's tension but it's not being dealt with, that's mm. really hard for me to deal with. Like if someone's angry with me, I'm like, tell me what's going on. You know, like I'm like, please, please, like yeah. please apologize. Me too. Yeah, I can't handle <laughs> it. I, I hate that feeling. Um so yeah, I have that and it's, it's definitely a thing <laughs> and that can be mm. a double-edged sword some, sometimes. Yeah. As, and that's, I think like all strengths can become a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah. But I think they, I, I'm a big star sign believer. I know some people don't believe them, but when you do read the profiles, you think, yeah, that suits me. Mm-hmm. Like that really suits me. And my mum it was also an Aries and like, I read it. I'm like, yeah, that's her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I was like, you know, you look at the qualities of an Aries star sign, like, you know, born leader, like manifest all this kind of stuff. I was like, well, being just a cog in a corporate machine doesn't really work for me. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad job situation. Plenty of people enjoy working in a, a team environment in a corporation. And if I build my business, I might have more like a base of freelancers that I work with. I might have a team. Mm-hmm. The difference is, I'll be on the top, not the bottom. I mean, I don't want that to sound like really narcissistic or whatever, but I don't know. I guess it's just a characteristic of my personality Wait, that no, I noticed. There is nothing. There is nothing narcissistic about wanting to be a leader and wanting to be at the top of your game. Um, and I just I want to point this out because I think that so many, for me as well, like a lot of women were taught to like kind of dim our lights a little bit and not kind of step into our full potential. So I just want to say like, it's not narcissistic or, you know, arrogant or anything like that to be confident about what you want and who you are most importantly. Like the fact that you know you're a leader is a baller. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I know this. Badass. Badass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Um... Yeah, I think like I gradually kind of learned, you know, uh, doing team work at school and university, I'd get frustrated with people that yeah. are like, 
trying to dominate the situation because that's that's the difference I'm not a dominator I don't want to be like overshadowing everybody I in a team situation mm-hmm. I'm like I like harmony so it's like I give everybody a shot like I ask people questions like how do you think we should solve this what should we do yeah. um but yeah, likewise I also get fed up with people saying sitting there like oh I don't know I'm like come on suggest something like what do we, we've got to solve this we've got 10 minutes on the time let's go <laughs> So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And also, I've been very um, independent in my choices because I always have these funny discussions with my mum because I'll be telling her, I'll be in a supermarket, for example. I'm like, do I want chicken or fish? I don't know. I can't decide. What am I cooking for dinner? Or I'm in a shop, clothes shopping, classic example. And I've got lots of choices of dresses. And my mum's like, just pick one. And I'm like, Yes, but there's all these options and I just don't know. And they're all 20 pounds and I just don't know what's going to suit me. Um, And then she'll be like, so, right, you can make major life decisions, move to a foreign country for a job. You can just choose to have a boyfriend because you don't even double guess it. You're just like, yep, I like him. That's it. But you can't make a choice on what you want for dinner or what you want to buy in shop. (laughs) That's a classic one. And she's like, you make such independent decisions like life big life decisions that a lot of people would be like oh I don't know and they spend months and some people would even like with regards to moving abroad there's two categories there's people who are like yep screw it I'm going like what I did um but that might be because I was primed because I did a modern languages degree and in the UK you have a compulsory year abroad so it's it's happening regardless um so I was primed with that but still it's kind of like yeah sure I'll go or there's people that are like kind of want to move abroad but it sounds scary I don't know it sounds complicated so I just won't do it at all mm. so yeah and I, I'm in the I other category that that's that's a yeah I mean I don't think that you're alone there I think that there are certain you're probably really good at listening to your gut on the big decisions. yeah yeah I think uh, like yeah for me I think I I always know what I want mm-hmm. in a well I know what I want but it's the specifics and I guess it's the clarity right it's yeah. like what we're aspiring to um I just wonder what the world would be like there wasn't this kind of forced pressure when you're young to go to university or you know go into any career not necessarily a college or university um and if they, you know, just take a gap here, just like, you know. I know, <laughs> seriously, take a gap Man. Year. If anyone is listening to this, take a gap year, for real. Like, it's so, yes. so important. If you're like wondering, oh, should I take a gap year or not, take it. I should have. It'll I never, have. it'll never be something you regret. I can guarantee it. I've never heard of anyone regretting a gap year. Mm. I've heard- I think you did one. I, I actually did not do one, which is kind of hilarious. Um, mm. I did one after college though. Like I didn't go right into working. So mm. kind of, um, but uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. I know. Cause um, people would argue if you do a languages degree and you have this year abroad in year three, um, cause it, in the UK it works that way that you do two years, go on a year abroad, come back to do your final exams, dissertation, et cetera. Um, and I classed that as my gap year, but then it wasn't really. Cause it was like, I could have taken a gap year after uni and gone to all the places like outside of Europe I want to travel to. Cause fun fact, I've never left Europe, mm. which is kind of shocking. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
and you know I did lots of fun stuff on my year abroad like um first thing I did I moved to Greece I went to Thessaloniki was a student there during all the strikes that was interesting met lots of friends uh did lots of you know Erasmus trips and stuff and then went to Austria I was an English language assistant there so I mean but I didn't really do any work I was getting paid quite well but in the class because it was a it was a Hochschule which is in German it's like a university kind of situation so everybody's over 18 and their English is pretty pretty good most of them so I would just go to class and they'd say Christina like what's this in English and I'm like oh it's this and that's it that's all I do go home to my little little tiny little house I was living in in I was living in like in a basement under some woman's house had a nightmare neighbor but that's probably a story for another podcast (laughs) seriously she was like oh she was awful um you know, live it, I was literally living my best life. And the thing is also, normally people come back from the year abroad poorer because they do all these crazy things when they're abroad because they, they're in a foreign country, they want to eat out all the time, go on these excursions and all this kind of stuff. But I'd been clever and I had saved money the year before. So I was basically, uh, I got student finance that year anyway, um, but it's like a reduced amount because I wasn't in London because if you're in London, it's like higher. Um, and then... So I was basically living off the money I saved the year before, earning money in my Austrian bank account. (laughs) And I came home with like probably more money than I actually went with. And it was like the best year. But I was still occupied by university. I was still working. I was still, it was the first time I'd been in a German speaking country, Um, a Greek speaking I had been in before. Um, But it was still, it was very stressful. Like, just being in a foreign country by yourself for the first time as how old was I? 21? 2021, I think. Um, but I think if I'd taken a gap year either before uni or after just to literally either do nothing all year, which is perfectly acceptable for a gap year, I think. I think you don't have to go traveling and go bungee jumping and all this stuff that people do. I think people, if they want to take a gap year, just literally to sit in their apartment, write a book or just watch Netflix or like whatever it is spend time with family because they've been away for four or five years at uni then fine you know but I didn't do that I kind of did but it was like finished uni in the summer moved in with my grandparents bless their heart and um focused all my energy on trying to find a job because then when you're at uni you get taught your your, your self-worth basically is equal to what job you get or if you get a job Absolutely. And I was not getting a job. I was like six months unemployed. And like my self-worth went from like up here, like to the top, top to like right at the bottom. Yeah, that's not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that that can come a lot from comparing yourself also to other people and their journey. Um, And in university, like when we're graduating with people, we are literally like primed to be competing with them or it feels that way. So absolutely, like that can get so hard and and people get so down on themselves because they're not on the the path. To anyone who can't see this, like I'm I'm air quoting the path. Air quotes, air quotes. Well, yeah, because yeah, it's like, you know, everyone's path is different. And mm. you know, the fact that you are living in a different country, like it's so cool what you're doing. Um, you know, but your, your timeline, your path is different and, you know, it's, you had to do that six months with your grandparents or whatever, you know, that was part of your path. It was longer than six months. Bless oh. them. Like, I think I ended up staying for like, 
uh, it, it was like a halfway house at some point. It was like six months. So I really realized now, basically, since I graduated in 2015, I've been on like a constant, okay, what next? Mm. Because, which is also, that's an interesting topic because it was like, I graduated in the July of 2015, spent basically six months trying to find a job. Not even Burger King would hire me mm. because they were like, you don't have the skills we need. And I was like, F you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and um, then on like some dreary rainy day, I think I'd just been swimming. So I was like wet, my hair was all wet and I was waiting at like a bus stop in the dark in December. Um, and I had applied for an internship at the EU. Uh, and it's like really highly competitive. It's like probably the best internship a European can get because it's paid for one, which is really rare <laughs> these days. Um, and it's just such a great experience. Um, and I applied like a few months before, but thought the self-worth thing probably came in there because I thought I probably won't get it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Classic, oh, I'll apply, but probably won't get it. Yeah. At this bus stop, check my emails on my phone. Lo and behold, have an email that says, would you like to come to Brussels to do an internship awesome. with us? Yeah. I was like, holy crap, <laughs> what? Really? Yeah. And then it was like a whirlwind. It's like, went home, told my grandparents, off to Brussels in two months, see you later. Um, and they were like, okay. And then like two months later that I went, in between that time, I got scammed by some person who was like advertising an apartment online. Turns out wasn't, it was just a scam. It was just a whole nightmare. Um, goes to show a lot can happen in two months and then left in the like February or March that was five months went home <laughs> and then it was again the job hunting thing again but then that internship that's when I learned okay I want to do a master's in translation because that's what my internship was in so okay that's that's something to go that's like a lead I can follow then of course you go back to university you have the got to find a job again mm. I don't know what it is I don't know what it is. You just have to get a job again. Uh, that kind of mentality. And then I got a job in Poland and then moved. And it's been a whirlwind ever since. So now I'm considering taking a gap year. Yeah. And, and you know, a lot of people with, I think too, with like COVID and everything, we've also had to been like, you know what? Life is super unstable. Anything can happen at any time, AKA lockdown. And yeah. you know, we might as well start to look at like, how do we want to live this life? Like, you know, the truth of the matter is the classic nine to five that our grandparents relied on is not reliable anymore. Nothing no. in the world is, is controllable, controllable except for something that you yourself lead. So I think, I think for so many of our generation, it's like, I don't have any choice. And I think for a lot of, a lot of people too, like their jobs are just being removed. And so mm. it's like, either I embrace what I'm meant to do or like, yeah, what? I'm going to just keep going from, you know, job to job that I hate. And yeah, at the end of the day, we can't control very much in the outside world. So we might as well like live it up, you know, and, and live your best life. Yes. And, and, you know, like, I love the fact that you're thinking about taking a gap year. My feeling is take a gap year, <laughs> like mm. save as much as you can so that you can live and enjoy your life for a year and then do it. You know, that's, I mean, awesome. on a gap year, does that mean you can't work or is it, it's just a year you can, how do you define a gap year? 
Well, I mean, the classic gap year I've always known is either before college or after college. You take a year where you're just mm. traveling and like not really, you don't really have a plan. Um, that's what I see as a gap year. I think that as we get older, you know, and we start to love what we do, that maybe, you know, the gap year is just being a freelancer or something like that. And we travel and do things we want to do. Um, but I think, you know, gap years are, are whatever we want them to be, you know? And yeah, that's what I would encourage everyone to do. If you just want to have a year of fun, do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was basically saying. Like when I lost my previous job, I was like, well, at least I can be a freelancer. It'll just be a digital yeah. thing though. It's cool. Exactly. I can go home when I want. I don't have the one thing I hate working for a company, like not bashing any of my previous companies, but it's like in general, working for a, a company means you only have a set amount of holidays, mm. vacation days. And it I hated that. I hated that. Oh, ask my boss, oh, can I have this day to this day off? I need to go to a wedding or I need to go to this. Or and I was just like, no, like if I had like if I develop my company further. I would just be like, yeah, take whatever you want. Like I'll have like a, one of those policies where you can take holiday whenever the hell you want. Cause I just hate that. Yeah. No one should have that time controlled. It's just such a yeah. weird concept. If you think about it, that Absolutely. some company, some guy in some suit is saying when you can and cannot go on your beach holiday or to your friend's wedding, especially have your own wedding. that someone has so many of us work online anyway. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I mean, the more online you work, the more that's real. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Well, before you go, did you want to like give your Instagram your where people can find you? Yes, I'd love to. So you can find me on Instagram at morgan.doman. And um, I also have a website, morgandoman.com. You can find me on Facebook as well um, at Morgan Doman Clarity Coaching. Um, I actually have a, uh, a course coming out like a go at your own pace uh, course called the Ultimate Confidence Booster coming out January 11th. So if you're interested, feel free to DM me. I'll send you a link. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me. And if you're interested in, you know, my kind of one-on-one coaching package, you're also welcome to DM me. I love to talk to anyone really who's interested in coaching. And one, one of the coolest things about being in my field is there's a million different types of a type of coaches. And I know a lot of them and I, I can always, you know, kind of refer people to the best coach, whether that's me or someone else. Um, Mm. You know, just because you get on the phone with me doesn't mean I'm the right coach for you. So it's really important that we, I hear what you need and then we can design it from there. Yeah, I think it's really important because it's a human interaction, isn't it? So it's it's really important to find the right fits, but like finding a counselor or psychiatrist or something like you, you have to find the right person you absolutely do and it's not one size fits all um all coaches have their own niche or they should and so you know you want to make sure that whoever you decide to go with is someone you a gel with on a personal level and b they are going to help you with your wants because we're all a little bit different you know for example like I have a colleague um, who is a finance coach. So if you have money issues, I would send you to her. Mm, I think I um, need that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely, it's, it's 
we're, we're, there are a lot of us. So yeah, I, I always love to help people find exactly what's right for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think if you want, if you're interested in coaching, you can also go to the Human Potential Institute website as well. Cause I looked the other day and it was quite informative actually. Yeah. Yeah. There, that's so, where I got certified and, um, it's a wonderful organization and they, they do a really, really great job, uh, kind of training us. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up the, I want to say third podcast. I've done awesome. that episode. Yeah. Well, thank you so much maybe. for having me. It's been such a great time talking with you. Yeah. Maybe we can um, do it again sometime. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and for this. Holiday. Yeah, I know. It's like Christmas in, not, wow, under 10 days. I know. Nine. Crazy. Nine days. Yeah. Ah, I hope everyone has their gifts. <laughs> I hope. Santa stays COVID-19 free this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Seriously, I want to be healthy. Give him some hand sanitizer right, well, with his um, so cookies. Much. Yeah, all right. I'll speak to you yeah. again yeah. sometime. Yeah. All right, then. Bye. Okay, thank you for listening to the Badass Female Podcast once again, guys. Don't forget to subscribe or give us a follow. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, why not hit that fifth star and leave us a written review? But of course, only if you've got something nice to say. I'm joking, but you know, honesty is always appreciated. You can also follow us at badass underscore female underscore IRL if you want to as well on Instagram. Um, but you don't have to, it's not compulsory, but you know, sometimes I post interesting stuff on there. Apart from that, I hope you have a really lovely Christmas despite all of the COVID-19 circumstances and have a great transition into the new year as well. Please be safe, look after yourself and your loved ones and treat yourself a little bit as well. We'll be back in 2021. See ya.